Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. So, Chris, I want to just begin by asking you a question. Go for it. <laughs> when have you said, I'm glad that's behind me? Um, that's an easy question to answer. That happens four times a year. It's, it's when we get to the end of a production cycle and we're wrapping up uh, Bible Studies for Life, whichever quarter we're in. And it, it takes me back to college and seminary where I would get to the end of a semester and get finals and or a paper done and think, oh, I'm so glad that's over. And if I had known then that I, my whole life would be filled with deadlines, with every and, we, and, you know, when I was pastoring uh, uh, full time um, and and as a bivocational pastor, for that matter, Sundays keep coming, you know, and, you, you know, you get done and we got to do it again. So I, I think I live there. I understand. I, for me, it was, and you can appreciate this too. It was when I wrapped up my doctorate and, yep. and it's one of those things. I'm really glad I did it, but I don't I'm sure I want to do it again. You know, it's, it's, a, I, was, I was really glad to have that behind me. I told, I told my wife, if I ever talk about another degree, <laughs> here, here is a gun. You shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we're doing is we're wrapping up this study that's been on fear called putting fear in its place. And we're going to, in this last session, we're going to discuss the fact that one day the pull of fear will be a thing of the past. We can say that is behind us. Joining Chris and I for this conversation today is Dr. Dwayne McCrary. Dwayne, thanks for being a part of this podcast. Hey, thanks for letting me be here. And by the way, just for the record, I have had a conversation with my wife about getting a second one. Have you? <laughs> Was it the same as mine or different? No, it was very different. She's open yep. to that. Okay. Well, good for you. Knock yourself out, man. I told my wife just to get me some aspirin. <laughs> but we are, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about this, uh, putting fear in its place. And we're coming to the end here now, because we're going to talk about the fact that, that, that fear will be a thing of the past when we come to God's eternal kingdom. So for this session, we're going to be in a passage, actually a book of the Old Testament, Chris, I don't know when the last time Bible Studies for Life, we were in the book of Zephaniah. It's been, it's been a long time. Well, we will defer then to our friend Dwayne, who uh, worked for a long, long time on Explore the Bible, who had to pick that up uh, at least once every nine years, right, Dwayne? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Zephaniah I, is our friend. But I do think it's, that is important for us to kind of get into. Before we get into uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, I think it would behoove all of us to understand kind of who he was and what was the context he was dealing with. So, Dwayne, you want to you want to help us with that? Yeah, the, the book begins, interesting enough, by him identifying his family tree. He says, he, verse one of chapter one says, the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. And then he says, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So he's identifying his family history. And there's some who have debate over this heritage because there's some who think Hezekiah was a common name. However, I would be in the camp who uh, would hold the idea that, that he would have to list uh, these generations and name Hezekiah uh, only because he was a, uh, a famous king and not because he was somebody who it didn't 
nobody knew or recognized. So he was a, viewing, de a descendant of? I view Zephaniah as a descendant of Hezekiah. So, uh, and the reason that, the reason why he would have to mark that is because he says he's the son of Cushy. And some scholars will point out that that points to a potential of him being a Cushite, which meant he would have been from what uh, we would think of in the New Testament as Ethiopia or in the, you know, uh, that uh, um, um, part of Egypt, that area. Uh, we think about the Ethiopian eunuch uh, in that region. And so he's identifying with, with the Jews by doing the family tree because they knew otherwise he was from Cushy and he's not Jewish at that point. So that's part of the reason why I would point to that. But this means, though, he's the great-great-grandson of um, Hezekiah, and Josiah, the king, is the great-grandson. So there's four generations for Hezekiah, uh, Zephaniah, excuse me, and two or three for Josiah. Um, so uh, they're, they're distant cousins at that point. Uh, at least that's the, how I view it. I know there's others who think differently, but that's the way I view it, uh, just because of those uh, things I just shared. Um, so family line, and I went to Chronicles for this, Second uh, Chronicles 33, 34. So it's Hezekiah, uh, Manasseh is his son. Mm -hmm. The one who followed Manasseh was Am Amnon, and then Josiah, correct? Correct. Okay. And um, Hezekiah was the last good king. Uh, both Manasseh and Ammon were bad kings. They instituted, reinstituted Baal worship and all that kind of stuff because that had been stopped during the time of Hezekiah because uh, Hezekiah followed Ahaz, not the best of the kings in, in Judah. And so you have a connection there between Hezekiah and Josiah as well because they both were sons of kings who had reputations for Baal worship and, and taking it to the extreme. And they're both kings who instituted reform. And Zephaniah was, the time of his prophesying was during the reign of Josiah. Correct. So he was doing this in the season when Josiah was trying to get these reforms, the, the Baal worship, all the idolatry, he was trying to get it out of the way. Yeah, most things, because Josiah's, um, reforms took place around 621 and his time of being king was 640 to 609 BC. So he'd been king for a little bit at this point. So most folks think that this book, uh, these prophecies of Zephaniah took place prior to 621, uh, just based on the descriptions of what you see here in Zephaniah. Did you find that as well, Chris? Yeah, and the, the hope that came in this in the passage that we're looking at today uh, seems to be uh, that these things played out after Josiah's reforms mm -hmm. and, and some of the, the good news and the hopeful words that we're going to read today uh, became a reality uh, for at least a short period of time uh, for, for the people of Judah. Yeah, and, and for those who don't remember Josiah, he's the one, they the king that told him to clean out the temple and they found a scroll. And uh, it was read, it got read again, and then it got taken to Josiah. So you got to hear this. They read it to him and he um, goes into a state of mourning. Uh, they seek God's counsel and uh, they begin reform at that point. 
So when we're what's happening when we come to the passage we're studying today, which is Zephaniah three, actually verse uh, verse nine, where we start. This is a turning point in the book because up to this point he has been dealing with the, the needs. Uh, to, the, the need to return, warning about the idolatry. He was dealing with calling the remnant out. But when you come to Zephaniah 3, verse 9, we see a change in the tone of everything that's happening. And so let, let me just read verses 9 through 13 with us to see, because when we're talking about fear is going to be a thing of the past, God is going to remove fear from those who have humbled themselves before him. This is Zephaniah's words, for I will then restore pure speech to the peoples so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with a single purpose. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my supplicants, my dispersed people will bring an offering to me. And on that day, you will not be put to shame because of everything you've done in rebelling against me. For then I will remove from you, among you, your jubilant, arrogant people, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. I will leave a meek and humble people among you, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will no longer do wrong or tell lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths, but they will pasture and lie down with nothing to make them afraid. Several things pop for me as I as I read this passage, uh, the, the restoration of pure speech, of pure motives, um, the your pe- the people of God will bring an offering to God. Uh, you won't be put to shame uh, because of because of your rebellion. Uh, is a is a word of great hope, not just to people then, but to us uh, today. Let me point to one phrase here, and this is a phrase actually that Zephaniah uses a lot, and it's in verse eleven where he talks about on that day. Well, what exactly is the day we're talking about? Uh, he uses it in six verse sixteen too. He uses it in chapter one of verse seven, uh, verse seven of chapter one to kick everything off too. Yeah, he uses it a lot. As as prophecies do, there's a uh, most prophecies there's a dual fulfillment. There's kind of immediate context, and then there's one with a christological emphasis, which is the case here. Is he's talking about the remnant coming back, but when we talk about on that day. It also we look from the New Testament perspective. We're talking about the return of Christ, that final kingdom which will be ushered in at the second coming of Christ. So you, you take it that it's a both and? I think so. Yeah, I would agree yes. with that. I, I think there's a dual fulfillment. Good conversation, but I want us to move us on to verse 14 to see God's presence has delivers his people from harm. Uh, let me pick up in verse 14. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout, shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord is among you. You need no longer fear harm. And on that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord, your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. What catches your attention in that passage? I, that that idea of God being with you, because you have it in verse 15 and 17, the Lord is among you, the King of Israel, the Lord is among you. Um, I think so many times we don't give credence to 
the blessing of God's presence and what that means. Uh, you think about when uh, Solomon is commissioned to build the temple uh, in First Chronicles uh, 28. One of the things that David tells him is that you will finish the work because the, uh, the Lord our God is with you. His presence is with you. When the exiles return, which is going to be after this, uh, the passage we're looking at now, eventually they return. Uh, in Haggai 2, the message that's delivered then to the folks who are building the, the next temple, Zerubbabel's temple, if you want to call it, the second temple, they're told the same thing. You're going to get to finish this work because God's presence is with you. And I, I always think about Matthew 28, 18 through 20 there, the Great Commission. We always think about go, therefore, make disciples. We forget that God's presence is involved in that. All power has been given to me, and I will be with you always. The promise is always, to me, that's important, is that I will be with you. And so many times I think we get hung up on what we get in heaven. And we've got, we're going to have a mansion, even though there's debate, it's really a dwelling place and not a mansion. All these kind of things. The, the, really, the real big thing there is we're in the presence of God. The one who created us, uh, I compare it to when my kids come home uh, and see me and they walk through the door and it, my, there's a smile on my face when they walk through the door because my kids are home. Um, I, you you kind of get that same impression when you think about this, that day that we talked about just a minute ago, is this the day when we walk in the door and we're home with the father and he smiles and there's a, there's a special look in his eye when that happens. Yeah. I love this too, Dwayne, this idea that because many times the presence of the Lord can be equated with fear, you know, trepidation, but here it's, it's a sign of peace. It, it, it's going to be good because God will be with you. Yeah. You're home. I mean, right. And you know, there's times when you may be, you may be out somewhere traveling and you're sick, man, if I could just get home, as if getting home is going to make you well all of a sudden, but you just feel like it's going to. Sure. Well, and then we see this in Revelation 21, uh, the Lord's dwelling. Look, the Lord's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. And again, Dwayne, that goes back to what you were saying. The beauty of heaven is the fact that God is there and we will be in his presence. So Nick did a great job of talking about our writer of that this this is this is what we're called to do it's a celebration sing for joy shout loudly uh be glad and celebrate uh nick talks about sports fans understand uh what it's like uh when your team wins and 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 it's a it's a game against the rival in our culture a, a lot of sec fans um uh, uh, I'm 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 a graduate of the University of Louisville, and so when we have won the national championship, I mean it's a great time of celebration, and we sing and shout for joy, and that does not compare in any way to the celebration that happens uh, when we are brought into God's presence and we know that He is with us and takes care of us, and uh, everything's going to be okay now and forever. But Chris, what I love too is it's not just our excitement, our rejoicing, but you come to this, you come to verse 17, it says, He, He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in His love. He will delight in you with singing. See, that, that's the part where when you come home, it's the delight is with the dad. 
I mean, that's who's happy to see you. That's right. Now, that's he just right. sees this phrase here about God will del- be quiet in his love, which is an interesting phrase. Not, we're not all real sure what the, how to interpret that. Some people will tell you that uh, the idea of God being quiet in his love, it regards he's being quiet over the sins of his people. Uh, but the God's love was so intense that it led to silence. Uh, his quiet love could be rooted in his thoughtful contemplation of all the goodness he's planned to, dispo- to bestow upon us. Uh, it's a rich phrase, though. You know, the, the, there's a part of it, too, I think, Lynn, that, that the quietness is the what's led up to this passage has been a lot of discipline, those type of things, which have to be done with verbato. The, the loud part's done. Now it's just peace. Quiet to me always means peace. It, 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 it's, you know, the, the punishment's finished. Right. He's quiet in his love because he no longer has to deal with our sin. It's dealt with. So it, the idea then is tranquility. Sure. I just love the phrasing of that. When we come to the last section, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Then here's this idea that we will experience eternal restoration in that kingdom. Verse 18, I will gather those who have been driven from the appointed festivals. They will be a tribute from you and a reproach on her. Yes, at that time, I will deal with all those who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will make those who were disgraced throughout the earth receive praise and fame. At that time, I will bring you back. Yes, at that time, I will gather you. I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. The Lord has spoken. Nick talk, Nick Persons talks about uh, have it, doing a house renovation. Have you got either one of you guys done uh, a major renovation of your home. Oh yeah. I've done several. Yeah. Not always on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> we did one a couple of years ago. And uh, so he described it uh, as, I mean, tearing uh, the house down to the uh, basic frames uh, work, the studs. And um, it doesn't look like much then. And then over the next few weeks, months, it's transformed into that vision into that blueprint that a, uh, uh, someone developed and it becomes a reality and that a sense of that kind of restoration um renovation is found um in this passage i think a lot of people watch the uh um h my wife kind of forces that on me a lot and, <laughs> uh people in our groups will uh will probably uh connect with those kind of um of uh, ideas one of the things I do like in this passage are the last four words where it just says, the Lord has spoken. I love the finality of that, the sense of this is going to happen. I am going to do this restoration. Uh, I've spoken the words. You can count on it. I love the promise in that. Yeah, I will bring you back. I will restore your fortunes. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of I wills in here. I mean, it's a, it's a confident statement. And if anyone can speak confidently, it could be God. It would be God. And that's, I love the, the security that comes in that. And then we see in this that fear will be a thing of the past when we come to that, that eternal kingdom that's God's. Uh, 
I think this is a great place to end because as we've walked through this idea of putting fear in its place, the different ways we might experience fear, the different ways we can deal with it, to know that in the end, this is a done deal. Fear will permanently be behind us. This is a great wrap up to this study on putting fear in its place and uh, to have an, an eternal perspective uh, to uh, to end our study with is a great way to do that. Uh, Dwayne, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for all of the knowledge and insight you brought to us today, man. Well, thank y'all for letting me be here. I appreciate it. I learned a bunch of stuff too. I hope the folks out there learned some stuff too. Yeah. So let me remind you too, that, um, as we're wrapping up this study, we're going to have a special focus session next week, which is tied to sanctity of human life. But following that, it's really an essentially two weeks in, we're going to start a new six-week study called How to Discern the Voice of God. It's a great study. It's a great study. Uh, Richard Blackaby uh, is the writer, and we'll have him in a few weeks. So. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Yes. So as you get ready for this, let me encourage you, if you'll go to uh, the, our extra page, biblestudiesforlife.com slash adult extra, you will find a promotional video there. It's 60 seconds. It's just a little teaser to get people interested in doing this study called How to Discern the Voice of God. You are free to take this video post it on your social media, put it in text messages. You can disseminate it however you want, but it's a great way for you to encourage people to say, hey, why don't you come be a part of my group? Because this is what we're going to be studying next. Hope you'll take advantage of that. And again, thank you for being with us for this podcast, and we will see you next week.